Hello, and welcome to the Harvest Podcast, brought to you by The Field in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we put love into action. We hope that you are blessed by these previous sermons by our pastor, Reverend Dr. Peter M. Weary. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment on whichever podcast platform you use. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church, as well as Instagram at The Field CLT. Be blessed. Hallelujah, somebody. Thank you. How many know that this day, this day is the day that the Lord has made. Just give us this day, Lord. What we've been through yesterday, we already talked about that. Where we're going tomorrow is in your hands. But if you just give us this day, I know you'll supply. I know you'll make a way. This day. Hallelujah. I wish I had somebody to help me praise God for the ministry of Dr. Wanda Hunter-Wary. I mean, one of the great voices in kingdom, in the kingdom, in Christendom. Thank you, Dr. Wanda, for that wonderful, wonderful introduction to the word today. And so it is that I invite you to Romans chapter 15 beginning with verse 4. I'm going to read it in the Good News Translation, and whatever version or translation you have, please follow along. Paul writes, Everything written in the Scriptures was written to teach us in order that we might have hope through the patience and encouragement which the Scriptures give us. And may God, the source of patience and encouragement, enable you to have the same point of view among yourselves by following the example of Jesus Christ, so that all of you together may praise with one voice the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then for the glory of God as Christ has accepted you. For I tell you that Christ's life of service was on behalf of the Jews to show that God is faithful, to make his promises to their ancestors come true, and to enable even the Gentiles to praise God for his mercy. As the scripture says, and so I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to you. Again, it says, Rejoice, Gentiles, with God's people. And again, Praise the Lord, all Gentiles. Praise Him, all peoples. And again, Isaiah says, A descendant of Jesse will appear. He will come to rule the Gentiles, and they will put their hope in Him. Verse 13, may God, the source of hope, fill you with all joy and peace by means of your faith in him so that your hope will continue to grow 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God, the source of hope, fill you with all joy and peace by means of your faith in Him so that your hope will continue to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Just for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about, on this first Sunday of Advent, the origins of hope. Let us pray. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope. Let my will be lost in thine. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I've spent this past week, ironically, struck by the remembrance of the awful events of September 11th, 2001. Now, you would be justified to ask, why in the world, during the Christmas season, would anybody be thinking about that? Well, what gave rise to the remembrance is the fact that December 7th of this year and every year on December the 7th is the anniversary of the attack at Pearl Harbor. It was December 7th, 1941, 80 years ago. During this past week, I kept seeing images of survivors of the attack still living and film footage of what President Franklin D. Roosevelt called a day which will live in infamy. All this coincided in my mind with the attacks that took place Y'all remember in New York, in Washington, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The events are related because they are the only two instances in our nation's history of an invading enemy attack on our own soil, at least until January the 6th, 2021. Fact is, Christmas will always come right after the remembrance of these two incredible events. I couldn't help but dredge up the jarring images that were struck in my own psyche of that awful September day just over 20 years ago. I recalled the images of the imposing tower number one engulfed in flames. It was my day off that day. It was a Tuesday, and I remember waking up to the sounds of the horror that was going on. I remembered this past week with new sadness the evil 
image of a plane ramming like a guided missile into tower number two as I sat hypnotized and helpless. It may be that the most disturbing images of that day were the ones I didn't until this message begin to understand. The most disturbing images to me of September 11th were the ones of workers in the building jumping out of windows, 80 and 90 stories up, holding hands as they plunged to their deaths. I guess these images were so disturbing to me because I've repeatedly over the years imagined myself in their shoes. I remembered the many times I've been high up in tall buildings and the, the only way out was down. In fact, a lot of times I remember myself standing on the observation deck many years ago of those very same World Trade Center towers and those jumping images come back to mind because I thought that very well could have been me. Have you ever stood on that observation deck? It was a compelling experience. Those images were so disturbing, family, because I wondered what those poor souls must have been thinking. What could have raced through their minds just before making such a brutal decision? At first I thought how awful it must have been to be trapped in a situation from which you know there is no escape. At first I thought those poor people must have just given up and decided to end their lives. But, but, but after reading today's text, I'm encouraged. I've been forced to rethink my opinions and positions about those events because now I'm convinced and I hope to convince some of you that what those people did was in fact a gesture of hope. You see, they knew there was no possibility of escape down the stairs or down the elevators. They knew the buildings were engulfed in flames and the people in the tower that Tower 1 had just watched Tower 2 implode and collapse in on itself like a house of cards. Not being able to know what was actually in their minds, I've concluded that those trapped people decided to jump not because they had given up hope, but because after reviewing the unspeakable options available to them, they determined that by jumping, there may have been their only chance that they just might survive somehow. I also imagine that their jumping was not an act of despair or hopelessness. In fact, I've concluded that their jumping in a complicated way was a declaration of hope. Y'all stay with me. Let me see. Let me let you see why. I mean, if hope had not been at least a part of their motivation, they would have just stayed put and burned to death like so many others did. They, they, would, have, they would have said, well... We're going to die anyway. Let's just lay down and take it. But this crowd 
did this indecipherable thing. They chose instead to leap out on what I'm calling the hope that survival was still a possibility. Now the cynics in the sanctuary will say, well, hoping is a losing proposition because all of those who jumped died. The cynic might say, well, this must mean then that no hope, that, that, that to hope is to lose. To lose and, and to hope is to die. Some of y'all might say that, that it just means if that's what hope is, then, then hope is useless. But Field family, I've come to testify that dangerous odds cannot kill hope. I guess if I had to shut up now and say no more, I would leave that with you. Dangerous odds cannot kill hope. Can I talk to some folk who are facing in their own lives some dangerous odds right now? Good news to you. Good news for you. Dangerous odds cannot kill hope. Just because it logically seems to the folk in the World Trade Center that survival was impossible, that didn't stop them from hoping. They jumped Anyway, and by so doing, they robbed evil of its power to control their destiny. They did not just lay down and passively accept the onslaught of evil. Those who were able to get to a window looked evil in the face and flew into it with courage. The cynic can only see the ending, but hope is not about the ending only. Hope is also about the process. Hope is about the journey. The question is, how will you face the odds that are stacked against you during this season of hope? Oh, don't get it twisted just because this is a season of holiness and hope and tranquility and peace and, and giving. Don't you think that hopeless odds are going to leave everybody alone. Oh no, some of us are still going to have to face some stuff that looks hopeless. And the question is, how will you face the odds like that stacked against you? Even in the midst of this season of hope, in this season of hope, some folk are going to suffer. In this season of hope, some people are going to die. In this season of hope, some people will have doors slammed in their faces. In this season of hope, because of the hegemony of stubborn, godless, entrenched might in Washington, D.C., some people are going to have to face living on the street. In this season of hope, some people who have given up on trying will have to face the reality that their jobs are gone away and even the jobs that are available, they're not able to do. There are some people that are going to have to face some hopeless situations and I want to know how are you going to face it. My prayer is that you will face your hopeless odds with joy, with peace, and with faith. 
I'll even go further to say that, that hope has its origins. Hope comes as the result of. Hope is the product of joy, peace, and faith. That's really all I want to say. Paul, Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, and again, Isaiah says, verse 12, a descendant of Jesse will appear. He will come to rule the Gentiles and they will put their hope in him. Watch verse 13. That's where we're going to hang our hat for a few moments. Paul says, may God, listen to the blessing, the source of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace by means of your faith in him so that your hope will continue to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you can continue your hope. You can find your hope. And he prays that the source of hope will fill you with all joy. This, this Greek word joy really does not mean being tickled with the way things are. This word joy in the Greek really means chill. It, it means calm. It means gladness. Can I talk to some freak out saints? Can I talk to some saints who go crazy with everything that looks too hard for you? Yeah, this, this, word, this word joy is almost a defiant satisfaction in the face of discouraging odds. That, that is, things are not okay. But you are okay. That's really what joy means. Joy means to have the disposition that a more excellent future is more possible than your present circumstances would indicate. The, the, the cynic would argue that this is just delusion. That's what the, the, the secular world thinks about us. They think we are deluding ourselves into thinking that things are going to get better. Yeah, things will get better. All this hope we've been Pouting for all of these centuries, the cynic would allege that this ain't nothing but hiding your head in the sand and fooling yourself into thinking that things are better than they are. But, but, but joy of the kind Paul prayed for for the church is not dependent on the reality of facts on the ground, nor is joy smothered by the facts on the ground. Can I tell y'all something? This joy Paul prayed for the church it has its source in an infinite fountain. Joy, like Paul describes it here, is energized by an inner power. He says, God is the source of this intangible, inexplicable, affective energy called joy. Can I tell you that if you have joy, you don't need happiness. If you have joy, things can be going to hell in a handbasket and you still will be alright. You, you may not be in the best of predicaments but you, but, but you will be okay because joy kicks in. You, when you're up against the wall and when you're in a horrible 
pit and when you're in uh, a catch-22 and when you've got nothing but a Hobson's choice, when you can't really kill nothing and won't nothing die, you got buzzards look, as the old folk used to say. When you're in this place that looks like there is no escape, joy is still possible. That's what Paul is saying. He's praying for the church that transcendence above what looks like it's hopeless will be your end. That, that this, this prayer means that as you face the impossible, know that it, nothing is impossible when you've got God on your side. When, when you get to the place where the building is coming down and the only way out is to do something that looks impossible, you may just find yourself transcending above the hegemony of the evil all around you. And you may choose to do that thing to what to people seems impossible. That is what joy is. Joy is inexhaustible because God doesn't get tired. Joy is indomitable because God cannot be dominated. Joy is indefatigable because it never gets tired of finding a better way. Joy is transcendent because joy does not mean depending on the dominoes to line up just like you need. Oh, can I talk to somebody who needs a deal to work out just the way you've planned it out? And that's the only way you're going to make it out. Can I tell you that you ought to just have some joy, some joy that transcends what you understand to be the outcome. And from that inexhaustible fountain on the inside, I dare you to imagine that everything is going to be all right, that things are going to work out better, that we'll understand it later. But for now, we are going to trust God because this is, God is the source of our joy. That's why joy does not need happiness. That's why joy does not need all the dominoes to fall just right. That's why joy does not need agreement of your adversaries because the source of joy can make you chill in the midst of a fiery furnace. The source of your joy can make you calm even when life is falling apart. That's what joy does. Paul prayed not that the saints would have happiness, but he prayed that they would have joy. That's the way you face impossible odds. You got to face them with joy. Paul says, I'm praying, may God, the source of hope, fill you with joy. Watch this. And peace. That's there in verse 13, may God, who is the source of joy, fill you with all joy and peace. The Greek here is instructive. I mean, our English language has some limitations, family. I mean, when you say peace, it means quiet. It means compliance. It means no disagreement, but, but that short changes what real peace is. 
Paul prays for peace, and the Greek here really doesn't mean uh, the absence of conflict. It means prosperity. It means oneness. It, it means quietness. It means rest. It means reintegration. That which has been dissociated, ripped apart, is reintegrated, brought back together. That's real peace. This, this peace is not necessarily that folk ain't fighting. I mean, that's why so many relationships don't come back together, don't stick together, because we think peace means everybody has got to agree all the time. You do know that any three people in a room, especially Tony Campolo says if they're Baptist, that means there are at least four opinions in the room. No, peace is not just the absence of conflict, because how many know? conflict is going to happen every day. Even your best friend, you will have conflict sometime. The old folk used to say teeth and tongue fall out sometime. I mean, there is conflict in the world. Rather, this is not the absence of conflict. This peace Paul prays for us is, is, is rather wholeness. It's as ancient Jews understood it, or it's a tranquility in the midst of the conflict. It, it isn't what you have or who you are or where you are or what you're doing that makes you happy or unhappy, uh, Dale Carnegie said, is what you think about it. I mean, I, you, you cannot count on peace just because folk ain't arguing at this moment. Some of the most unpeaceful situations I've ever witnessed are among people that are not currently arguing. I've seen old folk, church folk, not even talking to one another. Do you think this? There's peace between them. It wouldn't take a lit match to make the both of them explode on each other. No, they've just agreed to disagree. That's the worst kind of, of, of peace. If you think that's peace, then I got a bridge in Brooklyn I want to sell you. No, the fact of the matter is it is not that you are, are happy that you're in agreement all the time. It's rather instead that, 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 that you have tranquility even while you're in the middle of the conflict. Sometimes God rescues his children from the storm and sometimes God gives his children peace in the storm. That's really what peace is. It is the ability to stand in the middle of a hurricane and be okay because you know somebody who has your back. You are calm. You are tranquil. You are, you, you, you are situated. You are stable. You are secure when it looks legal secure. I wish I had me some saints in this house who would look back into your own life and reach down deep into the recesses of the relationship you have with God. And when the storm rises, when the lightning flashes, when the thunder rolls, you would find peace. You would find tranquility in the midst. You know the storm is raging, but you have tranquility in the midst of that raging. I heard the hymn writer say it like this. I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But listen to him. I heard the voice of Jesus telling me still fight on. Why? He promised never to leave
leave me, never to leave me alone. Peace is not about what you've got, but peace is about who you've got. Peace is not about how things are going right now. Peace is all about your confidence in how they're going to work out at a while. Peace is not about you having control of every situation, but peace is about somebody who has more control than you do, superintending the situation. That's where peace comes from, from God, the source of all peace. God, the source of all joy. I pray for some of you during this holy season that you will have peace, and that is in the midst of your cancer. Peace in the midst of your pain. Peace in the midst of your broken relationships. Peace in the midst of your troubled mind. Peace in the midst of your financial struggle. Peace in the midst of the attack of your enemies. That's what real peace is. Real peace comes when it looks like violence is winning the day. Real peace comes when it looks like your enemies have got the upper hand. Real peace comes when it looks like war is everywhere because peace does not come from puny people. Peace comes from God. God, the one who declared, let there be and there was. That's where peace comes from. The one who is fire right by himself. That's where peace comes from. The one who stepped out of nowhere into somewhere and created everywhere. That's where peace comes from. Peace comes from the burning inside of you which understands that you might have weeping for a season but joy comes in the morning. Joy is not happiness but joy is being chilled out in the midst of unhappiness that you might have peace Paul prayed. Peace is not that somebody ain't fighting you but peace is that you ain't got to worry about fighting them back. Yes Lord peace is not about how you've got it all nailed down but peace is all about standing still and knowing that God is God in the midst of the world going crazy. Paul said I, I pray for you joy that you be content that you be chilled in the midst of unhappiness. I pray for you peace that you may be calm that you may be integrated that you may be whole in the midst of fragmented reality. That's what Paul prayed for us. How are you going to face the odds that are stacked against you during this season of hope? Oh don't you think just because this is Christmas season that there's not going to be any trouble in your life. I'm coming to encourage somebody that you've got to face it though with joy and with peace. But watch this. Paul says you need to face it with faith. Watch him. He says, may God, the source of hope, fill you with all joy and peace by means of your faith. That's how you access the peace that wells up in you in times of conflict. That's how you access the joy which looks uh, to present to, to, to future circumstances being better than what your present ones indicate. You do it by means of your faith in 
God. Now, I know this because in the English language, this word faith is very much a, a noun. But, but in Greek, it's always carried the sense of action. In the Greek, to have faith means to put one's trust in. That is a volitional, conscious, uh, deliberate decision to trust God, to believe God. Al almost, a, almost a fiduciary sense, as if you would invest money in something. I mean, investments, family, are made on the basis of what? Performance. Investments are made, they're tracked based on a one-year, five-year, 10-year, 25-year track record they've had over time. That's the way we, we evaluate what a mutual fund or what, a, what, a, what an annuity might pay. It's a, investments are made on the basis of performance. If it's been a stinker for five years, you're not liable to invest any money in it. The condition that poses the greatest danger to our capacity for hopefulness is not oppression or danger because that comes every day. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. Here's the part I like, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So the presence of evil or the presence of impossible odds don't really have any control or bearing over people of faith. Human beings have endured all kinds of wickedness without losing their power of hope. Uh, the condition that really has the power to squash hope is not war, is not opposition, is not oppression, it's not danger, it's not war, but it's amnesia. I mean, our capacity for hope is not some fantasy, it's not some aimless exercise in denial. Stop letting your friends tell you that they don't believe in God because they have God has failed them somehow just because they prayed for some something amiss and God didn't grant a stupid request because they didn't pray in accordance with the will of God. No, uh, amnesia is our enemy. That is, Christian hope is built on our memory of God's redemptive acts in our lives. Christian hope is the collective memory of the community of faith projected on the future. That's why it's so powerful for saints to testify from time to time in worship because it reminds the collective community that I wasn't even there when Brother Jones had that, pre that predicament. But the same God who took care of me while Brother Jones was going through brought Brother Jones out. Christian hope is collective memory. With Jesus, hope is possible in, because in the best possible way, past is prologue. I mean, I have faith and therefore I hope because God through Jesus has a track record with me. I, I'm through preaching now. Can I testify for just a little while? God through Jesus has a track record with me. I, I can take y'all back year after year, decade before decade and I can remember some times when it looked like I wasn't supposed to make it. I can remember some days when it looked like my hope had run out but I called on the name of Jesus and right there in the midst of my valley he found a way to lift up the valley to validate Isaiah's pronouncement that every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low 
when I had some rough times in my life. He proved when I called on Jesus that the rough places would be made plain and the crooked places would be made straight. When I was down in despair, I'd go tell my story. You've got your own story. If I'm telling your story, I just need somebody to wave at me. When I looked like I wasn't gonna make it, when it looked like my enemies had me, I remembered the words of David, who said, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh they stumbled and they fell yeah that's why the next time I got in trouble I looked up to the Lord and said you are a very present help in the time of trouble say yes I can't remember out on a downtime when I was stranded on the road looked like I was going to die somehow God sent somebody to my rescue yes I remember so well lying on a sick bed paralyzed from the waist down but somehow God sent a preacher and asked me if I wanted to walk if I wanted to be whole again I was just dumb enough just crazy enough to say yes I wish somebody in this house would learn how to say yes it would build your faith the old church the Kojic church used to say yes 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 to your will yes to your way Yes to your power. Yes to your deliverance. Yes. I'm so glad that Reverend Reed asked me if I want to be whole. And I said yes. I got up and walked on paralyzed legs. I wish I had a witness here. I played football on paralyzed legs. Yes. I danced in Broadway shows on paralyzed legs. I'm so glad I can tell my story. I was down on a sick bed with COVID-19. Couldn't breathe, but I heard, I say I heard, I heard the voice of a doctor. His name is Jesus. He said, I gave you the breath of life. Come here, let me help some Bible skeptics. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things, all things, all things were made by Him. And without him was nothing made that got made. So he told me, I gave you breath. So I command you to breathe again. Yes, yeah. 
and I'm standing here right now because of faith. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that heals bodies. Faith that makes ways. Faith that lifts burdens. Faith that opens doors. Faith. Hey. 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 A thrill. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Yeah, yeah, you can't stop me, you can't block me, you can't scare me, you can't whoop me, because I've got hope, I've got joy, I've got peace, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've got faith that'll move mountains. Hallelujah. When you've got faith in a trusted, tested Savior, can nothing hold you down. I know that's bad grammar, but it's good gospel. Oh, listen, listen on this first Sunday of Advent, let's enter the season with the power of hope. That hope is built on joy, peace, and faith. Ah, we can hold hands together Leap into the abyss, anchored by hope. If you're here today, and you need this hope in your life, You've been on the brink of jumping, but you fear the unknown. I'm not telling anybody to leap to your death, but I am suggesting that the text says, this hope built on joy and peace and faith can conquer anything. Whatever hopeless thing you're going through, I'm praying that you will go through it with indomitable hope. People may talk about you and say, oh, he's crazy. She's nuts. They're in denial. But I pray for you that you will hear the call to hope 
which comes through faith in Jesus. Ah, it has healed me. That faith has raised me. That faith has delivered me time after time after time. There are thousands in this in this sanctuary right now who are who are amening and hallelujahing because hallelujahing because they've been raised by this same hope in Jesus, this faith-based hope. They've been raised and set free. You, you can have it right now. If you just invite this Jesus into your life, if he's already your savior, then you need a church family to grow in. We invite you to get that taken care of right now. We can show you how to worship. You're already doing it right where you are. We can show you how to give right where you are. You've already done it. We can show you how to do ministry right where you are. Just don't wait. Come on, would you pray with me? And as I offer this power to you, the power of this hope, Paul said, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. By faith, would you receive him? Come on, repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me for the many wrongs I've done, the sins of my life. I need you as my Savior. I am powerless to save myself. If you've reached the end of your rope, if you've come to the end of the line, if you've met a dead end in life, if you need new possibility, would you just dare say, Amen. Amen. It's done. It's done. This faith can conquer anything. So if we're here today, we're leaving here today rejoicing that somebody has made a decision. Somebody has decided to claim Jesus as their Savior. So we're celebrating all over the field right now because your life is never going to be the same again. Let's give him glory as we leave this place. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever, that all of God's hopeful people say, Amen. Go in peace. I have the faith that sees the invisible Expects the incredible, receives the impossible. Faith that can conquer anything. 
Pray that the message has uplifted, encouraged, and challenged you as you continue your walk with God. If you're looking for a church home, the great news is the field is not confined by the four walls of the church, for we all know that the people are the church. If you wish to become a partner in ministry, but more importantly, a member of God's family, simply reach out to us on Facebook, at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church or on Instagram at The Field CLT. Thank you once again and be 